The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put these days into perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We're entering the high peaks region of the stock market. Yes, this is the place where we spot peaks everywhere. Last week, a regional Fed president seemed heedless of any data, talking about raising rates in a recession. Hmm. In light of new data, that could be peak hawkishness. Today, we got a number showing that job openings fell 10%. Could that be peak employment? If that's the case, we might also be looking at peak treasury yields. And that's how we could have a second day of explosive gains in a row. Yes, Dow surging 825.43 points. S&P soaring 3.06%. And the Nasdaq pulling 3.34%. Now, coming this week, the market had gotten as oversold as it was when the pandemic started. As oversold as we were when Fed Chief Jay Powell ill-advisedly talked about lockstep rate hikes in late 2018. Could it be peak oversold? Meanwhile, we've seen the dollar drop 4% in just a few days. An extraordinary move. Peak greenback. We have the possibility of Elon Musk paying full price for Twitter. $54.20 per share. No question. Let's call it peak enthusiasm, to put it kindly, for a brand which is worth way less. Now, that is indeed a range of great peaks. I don't know, rivaling the Himalayans or how about the Adirondacks, along with one that should be irrelevant, which is that Twitter peak, although it played a role in today's enthusiastically bullish session. So what does the navigation of this high peak region tell us about the stock market in your portfolio? First, let's just say that things are very much in flux by the day, because each day gives us a new piece of data that impacts the markets, most particularly the all-important two-year treasury. I want you to consider the two-year as a kind of a, a thermometer, all right? When a piece of data comes in hot, the thermometer shows that the market's sick and needs medicine. The medicine means, yes, rate hikes. Like your neck. 
Coming this week, I'd say the thermometer was at 103 degrees, meaning we've got a serious fever, but it's not life-threatening. We're very much in need of the Fed's rate hike medicine. We just don't know the dosage. And this is really important. I hear a lot of people say, well, look, they're doing rate hikes. That's ridiculous. No, it's the size of the rate hikes that matter, not the rate hikes. We need, we need to know the dosage. I mean, who knows? Unfortunately, this medicine, it reminds me of chemotherapy. Rate hikes will kill the disease, inflation, but it also do serious harm to the patient. And that harm is recession. You know I try to use these metaphors whenever I can, analogs. Get you understand this stuff because it's complicated. For instance, yesterday we got a purchasing manager's index number for manufacturing. It was weaker. It sent the thermometer lower. Uh, let's say 102, okay? And it weakened the case of the Fed's most hawkish members who want to administer chemo no matter what. And you know what that would do ultimately to the patient? Today, we got another weaker number, the job opening number, which showed a 10% decline in August. That's the biggest drop in nearly two and a half years. That's another piece of data that sent the temperature lower. You get two pieces of cooler data, and it makes you wonder if maybe Loretta Mester, that's the Fed's most aggressive hawk, urging maximum chemo, might have less influence. Maybe even her hawkishness has peaked. Maybe Treasury yields have peaked, too. The two-year looked like it was about to gallop to 5% last week, a crazy high number. Now it's back down to just above 4, and it might be even headed down to what we call a three-handle. Now, a lot of this temperature taking is counterintuitive, right? I mean, how can weaker manufacturing be good for the economy? Of course it's not good. But it's a positive development because the alternative is runaway inflation. The House of Pain. If we get strong data, it means the Fed will have to bring even more pain and engineer an even harsh recession. Yes, that's what's at stake. Some goes for the job opening. Same goes for these job openings numbers that we talked about today. Nobody likes to see the number of job openings go down, if you're, especially if you're looking for work. But if you're looking for a cooler economy, which we are, then the number was a godsend. The Fed's number one priority is bringing down wage inflation. And they're finally making progress, meaning the rate hikes might not need to be as aggressive going forward. House of pleasure. So what does the dollar have to do with it? The dollar's gotten insanely strong. The higher it goes, the worse it is for our companies that do business overseas. If you sell goods in a foreign currency, a strong dollar means your foreign sales translate into fewer greenbacks. Plus, a strong dollar makes our exporters much our experts are just less competitive against each other. Well, let me give you an example. In short, the declines fabulous news, say, for Caterpillar. There's a stock that's been soaring because a weaker currency makes it easier for them to fend off Kumatsu and Kubota. You ever see those, those big um, uh, earth movers on the side of the road when you see Kubota? Well, that means it's not going to cat. They're big competitors. Maybe a weakening dollar can help offset the domestic weakness, softening the blow of a potential recession and bolstering the earnings of our exporters, especially the tech companies, which have been completely slaughtered by an unfavorable exchange rate. Hence why tech roared today. If the Fed can navigate the high peaks region, there's no, there's no reason to think we need to go into recession, even as you hear it endlessly on air. It, it's not bipolar. Now, I am not definitely not against rate hikes. 
but they come in different sizes. 25 basis points, 50 basis points, 75 basis points. We've now had three of those 75 basis point hikes in a row. And I think we could use some smaller ones going forward, maybe 25 basis points even. Given the cooler data we've been seeing, the Fed doesn't have to kill the patient to save it from inflation. Even a 50 basis point hike might be a decent dose with another final 50 basis point, if necessary, down the road when we can adjust to it. However, the hawks want to keep prescribing the same high dosage without checking to see how the patient's doing. And to me, that seems downright reckless. You know what I favor? Prudence. Again, the situation's fluid. We take the economy's temperature every day, including a big reading this Friday with that non-farm payrolls report. We might wonder once again whether if we're seeing peak hawkishness from the Fed all over again. But you know what we won't question? How about peak foolishness? in the form of the $54.20 per share that Elon Musk has agreed to pay for Twitter. A price arrived at in a fit of peak that no court in Delaware, where Twitter's incorporated, would overturn. Of course, Musk paying too much versus what the stock would be worth if he weren't involved, but nobody forced him to make a bid. He just got real unlucky with the timing. Frankly, I'm glad that Musk threw in the towel and agreed to pay up, recognized that the Delaware Chancery Court was going to enforce the terms of the deal anyway, so wasted time to fight it, but I recognize... How about this? I, I actually don't fear Elon Musk. I'm going I'm to call it peak foolishness because <laughs> I know when I see it. And so does Elon. And that's why he was so eager to get out of it. Twitter's 22% run today in response confirms that the market may have gotten to peak oversold last week. It's not that Musk's an idiot for overpaying. It's that the market got excessively negative. The S&P short-term oscillator I use to measure oversold conditions hit minus 10 coming in this week. A reading that's almost always preceded a snapback rally. Twitter at 54.20, way too high. But the action in the social media space makes me think that, well, it'd be at 20 with must takeover, and that seems stupidly low in retrospect. 20 bucks is probably where it would be without him. Can you imagine? Of course, the idea that we need to take the temperature of this market every day seems stupid. But can I just ask you, have you ever been in a hospital? When you're sick, they hook up a monitor. In comparison, daily reading is pretty benign. Here's the bottom line. Now that we're finally seeing signs of a slowdown in most of the important parts of the economy, this rampant inflation may not be as malignant as the hawks seem to believe. And that means the Fed might ratchet down the next dose of chemo. Hence today's tremendous run. Well, maybe with staying power, at least until the next reading of the two-year Treasury thermometer. Let's go to Kevin in North Carolina. Kevin. Hey, Jim. Long time, first time club member here. Calling about oh, thank you favorite. for being in the club. Thank you. We're working as hard as we can for you. What's up? Yeah, I'm calling about an old favorite of yours, Shopify. I've made a bunch of money in the stock over the years, but I'm down, my, down big in my current position, even after today's bounce. Should I hold, buy more, or sell and put that money to work in other club names? Well, you know, I, I turn negative on Shopify because I'm not recommending any, the stock of any company that is losing money. Not one. Not one. So in that sense, Shopify probably goes up maybe again tomorrow. We got a nice gain today, 10%. I do need you to take evasive action. We're not recommending stocks of companies that lose money. John in Florida. John. How are you doing today? John, good day. How about you? Marvelous. So I'm thinking the market should be showing some more R-E-S-P-E-C-T for our friends in Motown, specifically Ford. 197% sales increase in same period EV sales reported earlier. Uh, They have a market cap of only one-third of the total revenue of the company. 
P.E. Right. of barely over four. But, well, uh, well, John, but I can interrupt for a second. I apologize. But the problem is they have not been able to get the parts they need to be able to deliver the cars that we all want, including the Bronco, the Mach-E, whatever, the 150. Until they get all the parts they need, then they're not going to be able to do the numbers that we want. Now that we're finally seeing signs of a slowdown in most important parts of the economy, maybe we are seeing peak hawkishness. Hence today's tremendous run. All mad tonight, Suntory, the company behind Jim Beam and Maker's Mark, has a new focus on premiumization. I'm taking a closer look at the spirits business to see how the company's doing with the top brass. Then, we're on day two of this rally, but does it have staying power? How about we go off the charts to find out? And Biohaven is now a part of Pfizer after multi-billion dollar acquisition. So what's next for the company behind one of the most successful migraine drugs in history? I'm discussing the future with Biohaven CEO. So stay with Kramer! Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In a slowdown, we like to circle the wagons around recession-proof plays, especially food and beverage stocks. We wanted to check in on the space and speak with an industry leader in the Japanese food and beverage conglomerate, Suntory Group, which acquired Jim Beam nearly a decade ago. And as a host of Japanese soft drinks and global alcohol brands, you've seen them all in the store. You can't buy shares in this privately held company, but we can sure learn a lot about the industry. 
Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Tak Ninami. He is the CEO of Suntory Holdings, who's in town for the opening of Beam Suntory's New York headquarters. Take a look. Tak, and if I may call you Tak, because you've been sure. on a number of times, you have what I regard as the greatest bourbon franchise in the world. It's growing well. Give me a sense of what it can be in the future. We will be furthermore premiumizing our brands, makers, Basil Hayden, Knob Creek, and they will be much better um, liquid over time. They would like to create the uh, innovations of those brands, high end, and to appeal to the, uh, uh, those who love high end uh, bourbons. So that's our intention now. And we are investing to our distilleries in Kentucky. Now, do you think that you can talk about maybe millions of cases of some of these, what are right now smaller brands that everybody in America knows are delicious? We love bourbon here. Well, we'll be more focused on the uh, small batches. So we want to go with the uh, 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 more or less uh, uh, high end with the less volume. But we'd like to launch more versions of, uh, let's say, uh, bakers, little bakers, and from those uh, founding families. And uh, so that means we don't want to go for volume, but uh, small number. I'm so sorry to those who love our products. So not the thousands and thousands of cases. Well, at the same time, when I go through the aisles, I peruse, I also see in the single mall, you have Yamazaki and you have Lafroy. These are fantastic brands. You've been able to do a lot of volume of Lafroy in the tenure. Tell me about the single malt business. How's that growing? Well, we've been increasing production capacity in Japan and uh, in uh, Scotland, and uh, both uh, producing uh, fine uh, uh, single malt uh, whiskeys, but uh, it's, uh, it takes a lot of years. And uh, our policy is until the quality supersedes our standard, we will not ship out. Now, so that's the, you know, the, the, the strict discipline. And that's, I think, uh, our story. Well, it's clearly working because you've got great margin improvement and great revenue. Now, which are the drivers of those two? Uh, gross margins. Gross margins. Right. And that means uh, premiumization means uh, we should grow uh, gross margins. And uh, that shows uh, the appreciation from uh, our uh, discerning consumers. All right. So we know that Johnny Walker, which is a different company, uh, has had tremendous success. Mm. Uh, if you don't mind my saying, I think that Jim Beam can have every bit of that same success. That would be a lift of maybe, say, almost 40%. Is it possible? Yeah, it is. But I think uh, we have to find the best uh, ways to serve for consumers like uh, highball mm-hmm. and uh, used to be highball that is uh, 50% uh, whiskey 50% soda right. not as a one third to attract the uh, uh, female drinkers so we like to offer to by expanding the uh, drinkers not only in both men, men but the women as well so highball itself is a uh, great for us to promote the Jim Beam. 
Now, a lot of people think that if times get tougher, uh, that a higher-end alcohol mm. might not sell as well. I have found in my own, you can tell me, that the premium brands very much hold up mm-hmm. under even difficult times. Mm. Well, look at the hmm, c- cigarettes market. Cigar is still very popular. And this shows their future, in a sense. Right. Definitely people drink less, I think, toward the future. But they will keep drinking a premium. So our future is based on the business with the ultra-premium spirits, like Yamazaki, like Baker's, like Maker's Mark. So we like to offer further premium spirits. Well, that's our, you know, that's where the gross go. margin is. One yes. last question. You, I don't think people realize, have remarkable environmental efforts, renewable energy for all mm-hmm. production, right. 100% recyclable aluminum cans, even looking at green hydrogen. This must be something you care tremendously about. Exactly. That's uh, Santori's uh, founding spirit. Always give back to society. Whatever it costs, we like to complete and uh, achieve our goal toward the net zero emissions. And uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, distilleries, uh, we've already achieved uh, zero emissions. But our concern is uh, scope three, what to do with the uh, you know, supply chain, what to do with the uh, truck uh, drivers, and they, they are so concerned about uh, uh, gas emissions. So uh, we have still issue, but uh, uh, our idea and is uh, we will achieve zero emissions uh, by 2050s, 2050 uh, in the world. And uh, we are on the way. Well, look, I congratulate you for your incredible success, what you've done with these great brands, the premiumization, so many good things. I wish that it was a stock that I could just recommend because your volume, but more importantly, your gross margins right. are superb because you don't produce something if it isn't the best. That's what I like. That's Tak Minami. He is the president uh, and CEO of Suntory Holdings. No, you can't own it, but you can drink it. Their money's back after the break. Coming up, is this rally the real deal? Don't turn your upside down frown upside down just yet. Join Kramer off the charts next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. the second fabulous day in a row, 
we have to ask ourselves if this rally could have some real legs. Now, regular viewers know that I've been very skeptical of some of the games here. Last night, I told you this move is mostly about sentiment with a dash of cooler inflation data. People got too negative and were, we were due for a bounce. That doesn't mean the underlying fundamentals have changed. Except today, we finally got some good news on the wage inflation front. This is the most intractable issue that's making the Federal Reserve want to wreck the economy with a series of aggressive rate hikes. But if wage inflation cools down, the Fed has less reason to keep going nuclear on us. And today, we got an encouraging job openings number with the biggest monthly decline in job openings in two and a half years. While the number of job openings is still high by historical standards, it's moving rapidly in the right direction, which made us feel like maybe the Fed's making real progress in the fight against inflation. I know I felt that to be the case. And if it is the case, could it be time to take a more constructive attitude toward the market? To answer that question, we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. Yes, the legendary technician and market historian who's been the number one expert in the space since I was indeed a zit-encrusted teenager. I have makeup you can't tell. Larry's written over a dozen books and created a host of his own proprietary technical indicators, which you can find on his website, IReallyTrade.com. Everybody uses it. More importantly, he's got a stunning track record, especially since the start of the pandemic. I say this every time because it bears repeating. Larry's the guy who called the bottom in April of 2020, back when everybody else was still scared out of their wits by the COVID lockdowns. Stocks were trading like the economy had no future. Yet the market had already bottomed. We just couldn't bring ourselves to believe it yet. Larry explained business would start going back to normal within a month, and he absolutely nailed it, calling one of the greatest rallies I've ever seen at a moment when hardly anyone else wanted to stick their neck out. Now, he's been also doing something that you should be aware of, telling us repeatedly this year, and I've shared this with you, repeatedly this year, that we had to get through the historically horrible month of September before we could have a sustainable rally. But we would have a sustainable rally once we got past September. Well, how precious is that looking? And right now, Williams, well, of course, is feeling pretty bullish. Based on history, he wouldn't be surprised if the current rally still is out of tack. But he expects a meaningful bottom toward the end of the month, followed by a strong run through Election Day. In other words, he thinks you should be prepared for terrific buying opportunity, even if the current move gets repealed. Or actually, I should say, especially if the market gets repealed. Historically, by the way, just looking at midterm election years, this is an aside, Larry tells me if you bought the Dow Jones Industrial Average on the first trading day in November and then sold it for the election, Williams points out that you'd have 12 wins and one loss in the last 13 election cycles. I'm calling that more than luck. Now, I want you to take a look at this chart of the S&P 500 futures in black with what Williams calls the true seasonal pattern in blue. This pattern is based on the historical action of any given point in the year. He notes that typically the market tends to bottom in mid to late October, and that's often followed by a very powerful rally. And, of course, you know, we're having this up here, so it might give it up there. But, you know, look, you know you've got to be in. Now, check out the Dow Jones Industrial Average with the same true seasonal pattern. Again, same story. Dow tends to have a double bottom from mid to late October, followed by a tremendous run in early November. In short, history tells Williams we could be getting a very good buying opportunity coming up real soon. Again, I point out, so we have this nice little rally. That could be this. Then we might have a leg down. But I want you to be able to buy the leg down, not sell it. That's what's so important. Finally, let's talk valuation. Historically, the average price of earnings multiple of the 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average has oscillated between eight times earnings at, at the low and 25 times earnings at the highest. Right now, the current forward multiple for the Dow is 15.6 times earnings, uh, down from 22.5 times earnings at the end of last year. Yeah, the market was very expensive. Does that mean the market's gotten undervalued? 
All right, to put these figures in context, Williams has to do some math, and he likes to compare the Dow's price earnings multiple with the average long-term return on stocks, which happens to be roughly 10.45% per year if you include dividends. To make it comparable, he multiplies the Dow's price earnings multiple by 55%, then subtracts the total from 20.5, the average multiple. The result gives you a rough expected return if you buy the Dow at a particular valuation. I know this is hard. You've got to stick with me. So at the end of last year, the average Dow stock was trading 22.5 earnings. Put that through Larry's equation, multiply by 55%, subtract by 20.5, you end up with 8.125. And that's more than two points below the market's historical average performance. Not worth it. So if you buy when the Dow's trading 22.5 times earnings, the back of the envelope method says you should underperform the historical average by at least 2.3%, 2.37%. Now, though, the Dow's come back. It's all the way down towards trading at 15.6 times earnings. Run the numbers, we get a projected return of 11.9%, about a percent and a half above the historical average. As Larry says, this is bullish. I'd say I'd feel better if I knew the earnings would, uh, next year would actually be able to sustain and hit those estimates. But when the information comes from Larry, I like to be more constructive because he's got such a stellar track record. But is this relationship between valuation and expected return really that robust? I take a look at this chart showing the action in the Dow in blue and the Dow's price earnings multiple in orange. Historically, you've done very well if you bought the market when valuations got beaten down to these levels. As William sees it, when the Dow trades at 15 or 16 times earnings, well, that has been a tremendous buying opportunity. And you can look through time when you see that P.E. go low. It's the time to pull the trigger. He thinks it makes sense to be on the long side right now. Although, ideally, again, he says you should wait for that pullback. I showed you in that October line where the pullback would be. Because the best time to buy will be when the market makes its first higher short-term low. If that comes in two or three weeks, it would coincide perfectly with his historical pattern. We are using a lot of his work right now for the Charitable Investment Trust. Okay, We are using it because we think he's going to be so right. That's why we offloaded some stock today and we continue to do the same. And look. If we get more encouraging inflation data over the next few weeks, something that seems like a real possibility now, then this call could be right as rain. Again, a bit of a drop and then the advance. Bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest that the bear market is more or less, for lack of a better word, toast. And even if the current rally stalls, he's predicting a big move either toward the end of the month or the beginning of November. I hope he's right. And given that I know no one who shares his bullish view, just like his bottom call in April 2020. There may be a lot more to this than just hope. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Fletcher, North Carolina. Fletcher. Kramer, how you doing? Thanks so much for taking my call. I love your show. My, uh, thank you, Fletcher. really appreciate it. What's going on? Yeah, I'm just interested in your opinion on Duke Energy, ticker symbol D-U-K. Um, just basically curious as to your opinion of increasing my uh, – Shares. I've basically got a long-term position with this. With this I happen to like Duke very much. I think that overall we're going to get to a more level inflation rate. The uh, utilities have done incredibly well here. I think Duke is one of the best. You know, I like American Electric Power best, though. All right, let's go to Mark in Massachusetts. Mark. Jim, booyah. Booyah, Mark. All right, I'm here to talk about Starbucks. I know that you're very bullish on them. I'm curious about that based on their avowed revenue growth policy in China, based on the volatility and the uncertainty in China. Doesn't that represent risk? That could be a problem. Well, I want you to go back and look at our interview with Howard Schultz, who's the founder. Uh, I think he's made a very good point 
that they did for they're doing well in China, better than almost every other company, even with this bear market situation they have from COVID. And so therefore, when things get better, it's going to be amazing, particularly with the whole brew changes they've made. I think that after spending some time with Howard Schultz in Seattle for his retirement, I came back more bullish than I've been for Starbucks since, I don't know, perhaps the second time when Howard came back. Uh, Well, let's just put it this way. I think that Howard is a winner. The first time he came back, I nailed it. And this time, I think I'm going to nail it again because of Howard, not because of me. The charts, as interpreted by Larry Williams, suggest that the bear market is more or less toast. And even if the current rally stalls, he's predicting a big move either toward the end of this month or the beginning of November. So he doesn't want you to sell everything into this rally. And I hope he's right. Much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with Biohaven. After Pfizer completed its acquisition of the biotech company, I'm learning more about what the future could hold for the company after the transaction with the CEO. Then, the SPAC attack has turned sour. So is there hope for the once red-hot cohort? I'll give you my take and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. the old biohaven in with the new biohaven earlier this year the drug company agreed to do something bold selling their key cgrp franchise including the incredibly great migraine treatment known as neurotech odt and urtc to pfizer for 11.6 billion dollars good for both sides the deal closed yesterday giving shareholders 148 dollars and 50 cents per share in cash and a piece of the new biohaven the business that got everyone everything else in the pipeline uh, these are mostly early stage product candidates, meaning the new Biohaven's got a lot more, a little bit, let's say, more speculative than the old one, but it's also got a boatload of cash that it can use to fund these programs. Now, I have tremendous faith in management here because both they just made their shareholders a fortune and because I heavily rely on this drug. And I always say it, I always tell you, I think this is the one that they sold to Pfizer. So we have to ask, could this be a new Biohaven be worth buying? Let's Close to look with Dr. Vlad Churik. Now, Vlad, just so you know, is the chairman CEO of the new Biohaven Limited, and uh, that means that hasn't changed, although there are a lot of new people that are involved. Dr. Churik, well, congratulations, and of course, welcome back to Bay Money. Thanks a lot, Jim. It's great to be here. And I remember back to three years ago when I was on your show and you predicted it. You knew that Nurtech ODT was going to be one of the most important therapies for patients. And our team delivered and we've changed the lives of patients with migraine. Thank you for that. And thank well, you for your spokesman. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for inventing it. I, uh, today was typical. I knew it was going to rain. Uh, the rules say I can pop a Nurtech. Uh, I would be debilitated during the show. I would certainly be able to uh, have a cognition, but concentration be impacted. And because of your drug, it's not. And other people need to know this. And one of the reasons I was actually glad that you sold to Pfizer is I think Pfizer has a lot more ability than Dr. Church to tell the story to people. You're right. And I'm really proud of the Biohaven team who brought this drug to market. We made it the number one prescribed oral CGRP in the U.S., But we have to get to a billion people worldwide, Jim, and we can't do that on our own. 
Pfizer is the perfect partner. They're going to amplify this uh, drug across the globe. They've already been working closely with us. They realize how important of a drug this is going to be. They have 125 offices around the world, and I'm going to be excited to watch them uh, bring Nurtec ODT and intranasal Zavegipant to patients around the globe. As the chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I couldn't agree with you more. And the more people get this, more people, doctors who know, because doctors don't know it. They're still giving, I'm not going to mention the -the over-the-counter nostrums that they still tell you to have, but they don't work. Now, let's talk about the new Biohaven. Vlad, advanced uh, clinical stage programs, uh, orphan disease for uh, epilepsy, a horrible disease for a bipolar, major depressive disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, metabolic disorders. These are all very, very difficult illnesses. How are you doing on them? Jim, we are just as passionate about helping patients with those disorders as we had been on migraine the last several years. We have 13 programs across our pipeline. Last year, we acquired a very exciting and innovative potassium channel um, activator. We think that that is going to change the paradigm uh, in epilepsy like we did for migraine. Epilepsy patients have a number of therapies that have a lot of bad side effects. They have to be on these drugs their whole life. We want to deliver an anti-epileptic uh, therapy that doesn't have the baggage of the older meds. We're in our phase one trials now, and we'll be starting our registrational trials next year. And this could be the first new therapy for epilepsy in over a decade. Well, once again, an illness I'm familiar with and the stigma For people who have this is outrageous. And just like for migraine people, particularly women in the workforce who were told they just had a headache, this is major and you can do it. Now, how about speaking of major bipolar disorder, everyone who's tried has failed. Come on, everyone who's tried has failed. So the thing I like about KV7 activation for bipolar is the same mechanistic uh, underpinnings is why it's going to work in epilepsy. We think it's going to deliver efficacy in bipolar. And bipolar patients have the same problem as the anti-epileptic field, the side effects. If you're going to be on a medicine chronically, you don't want toxic side effects. You don't want liver abnormalities. You don't want sedation and cognitive effects. We think we can deliver for bipolar uh, without that baggage and uh, move the field forward. And it's been 20-some years before there's been a novel bipolar therapy. After the after doing the show for 17 years, I think I have the right to tell you that I'm treated for bipolar, and the uh, the I'd say the medicines are certainly better, uh, but they are uh, sorely lacking of things. And I check my liver checked all the time. I have yeah. to do all these things, and you know that it's just not. They work sometimes, yeah. and most people feel that they're better after they, unless you have a competent physician telling you that you do not know whether you're really better or not. So this would be a major breakthrough. And again, we're talking about 30 million patients. It's a, it's a big population, Jim. And I have to say, in neuroscience, it's an exciting time because we're starting to really understand the pathologic underpinnings of these diseases. And when you target it the right way, you have efficacy without those side effects. That's what we did for migraine. That's what we want to do for seizure and bipolar. That's what we're passionate about. And, and the next Biohaven starting today is going to be focused on delivering that for patients. And do you have enough money to do these? The testing is going to take a very long time. And to get to phase three is very difficult, Flat. It is. It's very expensive, and that's the biggest burden. However, we structured this deal with Pfizer that in addition to the acquisition of the asset and the return that the shareholders made, Pfizer um, uh, gave us the initial funding for the company of $260 million. That's going to bring us forward into our phase three uh, programs. In addition to that, they're a 3% owner uh, of the company, and so we'll have sufficient funding for this next year. Well, I have to ask this. I think I'm so... uh I, I, it's so important that these drugs work that I have to ask you, 
uh, did Pfizer not want to buy them themselves or did you not want to sell them? So our focus was selling the late stage asset that was already commercialized and we needed help with that, right? right. We could not bring this drug no. to the billion people worldwide. If I did that, it would have been a mistake, right? I agree. And so that's why we sold that asset. We believe in these other assets and so we want to bring them to market and hopefully at that time uh, then um, think about well, potential partners. All right, well look, Dr. Vlad Chorich, Chairman CEO of Biohaven, the old and the new, and congratulations for everything you have done for shareholders. But I'm gonna tell you, most importantly, for patients like me and potential patients like you who think right now that you can go to the drugstore and buy something, something for a migraine and you're dead wrong. This is the stuff that works. Mad Money's back in food. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky is the limit. It's a Fastfire Lightning Round, next. It is time! It's time for the Lightning Round! Here's your minutes for you, folks. Welcome to the last 10 minutes. Tell us you're going to bring any place. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy! It's time for the Lightning Round! Here's your minutes to start with Peter in Texas. Peter! Hey, Jim, when is it going to be time with these higher interest rates to buy Starwood? I happen to like Starwood in this big dip right now. I saw Barry Stern two weeks ago. I don't know, 9.6% yield. He's been good for it the whole way. I don't think it's going to, anything's going to change now. Let's go to Stephen, Illinois. Stephen! Booyah, Professor Kramer. Booyah, Stephen. What's going on? I'm a college student and member of the CNBC Investing Club, and I want to thank you thank for all the work you, Jeff, and the rest of the team put in every single day. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jeff is amazing. Calling, Jeff is amazing. Thank you. What's up? I'm calling about a stock that had a good report last quarter, but has been straight down since then. What are your current thoughts on Cisco Systems? Boy, is that a good depiction of what's been happening at Cisco. Chuck Robbins delivered and nobody cared. But I like a stock that nobody cared because when it snaps back, it's going to snap back big. I say stay long, Cisco. Let's go to Mike, Mike, Mike in California. Mike. How's it going, Jim? Love your energy. Mike, Love what you good. do for the small investor. That's why I play every day. What's going on? Not much. Well, dealing with these ridiculous gas prices out here in California is for the birds. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on plug power for the long-term investment. Okay, that's ultra-long-term because right now plug makes this... Uh, machines you see like running around in a Home Depot. They want to do trucks first, ultimately cars. This is an incredibly speculative situation that should have been making money and has not been making money. The answer is, if you're willing to lose money, then I give it my blessing. But that's the only way you get it. How about we go to Kevin in New York. Kevin. Kevin in Florida. What's up, Jim? Oh, Kevin, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing good. First off, I just want to tell you that you get massive props in my book coming out here every night challenging this tough environment with your opinion. You know, people can sit Thank back you. and judge, but I got a lot of respect for what you do. So, so thanks a lot. I thank this you. My is, kids told me that this weekend because it took a little, got a little hard lately, you know, with some of the critics. My kids told me to hang in there, but when you have, you have your kids do that, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it, 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 let's say it's uh, um, suboptimal. What's going on? It hits home. This has been one of the most popular names on Lightning Round talked about ad nauseum. When is all of the good news and unbelievable accomplishments in one year as a public company going to kick in for shares of SoFi? 
I don't know. Look, Anthony Noto, I've known Anthony Noto since 1996. He helped me bring the street.com public. So you can say, well, wait a second. It's not about friends. It's about money. I have known the man for many, many years. But I think the fact that the stock's at five bucks is actually ridiculous. I think he's going to have a great second of the year, and I want people in so by. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, shame on who? Kramer takes to task a Wall Street group that's getting their just desserts next. We often forget that the stock market is ruled by supply and demand, just like any other market. But on days like today, we see what can happen when there's not much new supply from SPACs or IPOs. One of the biggest overhangs this year was the glut of deals in 2020 and 2021. There were days when we had multiple IPOs or SPAC mergers, and initially times were heady and everything was well-received. In the end, though, we had too much money chasing too few good goods. And for the most part, I'd say that most of the merchandise was of dubious quality. But at least the IPO process offered a degree of accountability. They have to show you real financials and can't give you ridiculous projections. SPACs, on the other hand, let companies come public without all the pesky IPO regulations, basically serving as blank checks for managers who often didn't know what they were doing. How bad was the SPAC attack? Well, today, I got to tell you, I always anecdotally say it's bad. But today, we got a breathtaking piece of research from D.A. Davis in the Broker's House defrocking the entire SPAC industry. The piece was titled, Can SPACs Come Back? They ran a screen, get this, they ran a screen on 288 companies that came public via mergers with SPACs and found that only 26 of them are trading above their original $10 price. Just 26, not even a tenth. That, that's a total travesty. The analyst's conclusion, most of the SPACs, well, they're not coming back. Who let this happen? First to blame are the promoters who told us with great fanfare how their businesses were fantastic. They bragged endlessly that they knew more than we did. The worst offenders, who, by the way, were some of my largest critics, are likely, I think, headed to some securities issues, let's say. Bill advise it. Second, there were a host of institutional investors that got in on SPACs earlier than individuals. These guys really cleaned up, even if you lost money. Nothing new there. Sadly, screw the little guy can be a time-honored tradition on Wall Street. <laughs> Finally, I blame the SEC. Now, the SEC likes to talk about how their mantra is disclosure, disclosure. So, so sunlight's the best form of disclosure. When it comes to SPACs, though, you got a product with inherent defects. Disclosure doesn't cut it. The SEC allowed promoters to make outlandish sales and earnings projections about the future, and they had no basis in fact. As someone who actually took a company public in 1999, oh, we had to jump through a ton of hoops to keep the SEC happy, documenting every risk factor, making sure there were no projections whatsoever other than losses. Back in the dot-com year, the regulators took a hard line with money-losing companies in order to protect individual investors. It was a pain in the neck, but you know what? I was actually glad the SEC did it. Even as there proved to be too much enthusiasm in the marketplace anyway, it was great to try to tamp down whatever you could. Now, the last couple of years, though, were very different. There was no such scrutiny for these SPAC deals, which were often filled with pie-in-the-sky projections that fooled countless investors. Maybe you. No matter how hard 
you tried to keep people from buying this junk, and I did try mightily. You just couldn't dissuade people from investing in them. The SPACs were just too hot, in large part because the promoters were given free reign to stoke the flames. There were no cops on the beat. I, yeah, I got to use my bully pulpit to rail against them constantly. And in response, so many supposed experts have raked me over the coals for keeping people out of what they thought were good companies. But this D.A. Davidson memo makes it clear that the SPACs were a total sucker's game, and I hope you weren't sucked into it. The good news here, now, now we can have open season against all the remaining SPAC merchants. Even if there is no SEC scrutiny, they won't get away with it anymore because these things have become such horrendous money losers and now everybody knows it. Even better, though, the lack of these deals means that we're not being flooded with endless supply of newly created bogus stock. If you want a sustainable rally, you need two things, dry powder and a lack of supply. We know there's plenty of cash on the sidelines. Plus, between the end of SPACs and the frozen IPO market, there's almost no new merchandise cluttering up the stock market store. In fact, many SPACs that came public two years ago and could not find a deal are now liquidating and actually returning cash to you, the shareholders. I know that may not seem like the most important component of this week's rally, but when we look back on this moment, I'm going to be crystal clear. This lack of supply helped create the conditions for a bottom. That's why I think the end of SPACs is allegedly legitimate investments is such a gigantic positive. They are a travesty of a mockery of a sham. To anybody running one of these scourges with a stock that's down an average of 51% from the $10 stock price, all I can say is shame on you. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Thursday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 